Welcome back to the show. Hour number two of the big show, Russick and Rose. No George Russick. Peter Klein sits opposite me today. Patty Dumas is here. Hey, Patty, what's going on, buddy? GVP is in the other room trying to dry out after drinking all those beers (laughs) over the weekend. Dude, just full D-Gen. Whoa, 41 beers over the weekend. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. And that's just the beers. And that's just the beers. Yeah, he's really hard to keep a track of. Uh, And Ben's in the other room as well, our intern. We're very happy Ben's here. Uh, We go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for the first of two times in this, the uh, second hour of our program today. And we chat with an old pal who uh, I hope is having a marvelous summer, Frank Suravalli from Daily Faceoff. Hi, pal. How's it going? I am pretty good, Matt. I am moments away from arriving at the golf course and uh, quite excited. Excellent. So how's the golf game going this year? Uh, it's in fits and starts. Can't mm. quite put it all together. It's, if I can get off the tee, my approach shot is garbage or I can't putt and just goes around and around. Just enough shots to keep you going back. It's, it's such a sickness. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to be a real sicko to enjoy it, but boy, do I enjoy it. Um, Hey, there was actually like some NHL stuff over the weekend. What, what was your weekend like <laughs> in the sense that do you kind of keep like a, a, a work phone away did it start to kind of perk up? Like, what what was the the week for you as far as digging through some of the things that were breaking? Uh, not a lot of digging on my part. I'll be totally candid. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those situations, more or less dumb luck. Sunday morning, kind of sitting there, relaxing on the couch, having a cup of coffee, and got a message from one of the players that was in the Eric Carlson trade that told me he'd just been traded, and I was like, oh, that's good. So, uh, <laughs> Sometimes things fall in your lap, um, and with this Carlson news, I mean, it was it was a whopper. There was a lot that went down on Sunday, not just the Carlson deal, but also the Dumba contract in Arizona, the Tom mm-hmm. Wilson extension that came a couple of days before that. It's mm-hmm. been kind of a busy week, and I think my big question is, as managers now begin to put their phones down, uh, I know a few are in Europe on the heels of the Helenka Gretzky tournament and, sure. and are heading off on vacation. What's left to tackle between now and training camps opening in about five weeks? Well, before we get to the Carlson trade, what are some of the things that you're kind of keeping an eye on? Because we're a little ways out. Obviously, the Flames have a few things that we've talked about all off season long. But is there anything else kind of sitting on your radar right now? Yeah, I think the one name that's sort of left lingering out there for me it, after the Carlson deal now getting done is Evgeny Kuznetsov. It's been a lot mm. more quiet in the last few weeks on that file, but I do think the Caps are pretty eager to do something with regards to Kuznetsov and, and find him a new home somewhere else. Uh, that hasn't materialized. Maybe a bit of a difficult transaction to pull off because the Caps would obviously be looking to get some value back in return for him. And there is a little bit of term left on that deal. But um, that's the one guy on my list that I'm keeping an eye on. You know, that's an interesting thought. And just looking at the center market via trade, like Mark Shifley, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Lindholm, I'd throw Backlund in there as well. Like if you're a team who needs a little bit of help at center in probably that two-hole there are some options out there for you. You just got to be willing to give up the price. Well, that's the thing. I, I really, I don't 
have much indication that there's been any activity on Shifley. I don't think the Calgary Flames have made Elias Lindholm available in trade. And as much as those names have been out there in theory, I think in practicality or in execution, they're probably not. Um, So the market is maybe a little bit more thin than you might imagine. And that just speaks to how difficult it is to really attain a player of that position of that caliber um, via trade. It's difficult to pull off, but some teams have been able to do it this summer. The the big news of the weekend was the the Eric Carlson trade. Um, as uh, there's a lot of pieces involved in this, and probably uh, a few more as this trade tree starts to to break down as we, we get into the season. But uh, as the the dust kind of settles on this one, um, it, it seems kind of cliche. But who are kind of the, the winners and losers of this deal? Honestly, this is gonna you're gonna laugh when I say this, but I think the winner of the Eric Carlson trade is the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. If I were to stack the teams in order, I would say Montreal Canadiens one, Pittsburgh Penguins two, San Jose Sharks three, and I'll start in reverse order. The Sharks, it had to be done. They had to rip the Band-Aid off. Carlson was very vocal about wanting to be on the move and wanting an opportunity to win. So I, I don't think they were in a position where they could have brought him back next season and I also think the risk profile changes for them what happens if he gets injured what happens if he doesn't you know vault back to the level that he was at last season which is hard to replicate how much does that affect and or you know totally diminish the trade value whatever that is that you have that said the contracts that the Sharks took back on in order to make it happen I mean the Penguins were probably sitting there saying We'd have to trade a first and second round pick just to move Jeff Petrie and Mikhail Granlund and Jan Ruda anyway. So you mean we can do that and still get a hundred point defenseman in Eric Carlson? Like that makes a lot of sense. And to see it from Pittsburgh's perspective, they're essentially quadrupling down on the core that they have trying to maximize the window with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang before that slam shut. He fits their age scheme, even with that term and the term that was handed out to Latang and Malkin. He fits that contract window, and they're making a huge wager that he's not just going to put this team back in the playoffs, but is going to propel that team into the Stanley Cup contender conversation. I don't think they're there. Kyle Dubas acknowledged that they have a lot to prove, but you can certainly see where it makes sense. And then from Montreal's perspective, they get a really nice flippable asset, someone that they're comfortable with and know well, and Jeff Petrie, they're able to move Mike Hoffman's deal. um, And they do it all without really having to take on a lot and essentially play broker here, getting rid of pieces that they wanted to and taking on stuff that they can flip for kind of really not much cost at all. Looking at the the San Jose part of this, I don't know if they were coming into the Eric Carlson sweepstakes saying, no matter what happens, we have to get Mikhail Granlund. Um, but looking at, at some of the, the pieces that they got back, it's a, a bit more established players than at least I was expecting. Are, are these players that have much of a future in San Jose, or are all of these going to be looked at to be flipped as well? 
I think eventually we'll all probably be flipped. Um, And I think that's really where I struggle with this trade most from San Jose's perspective. I get the idea of trying to rehab these assets and move them for some future capital later. But I think the biggest thing I struggle with San Jose is what is their plan? Give me a clear direction and path for a team that's been in the lottery conversation for the last four consecutive seasons. They've sort of been hovering right around 26th to 28th place, not anywhere near close enough to a playoff spot to make it interesting, and far enough away that from the the very bottom where the, the draft lottery gets fascinating to really be an impact team on that front. And yet, they subtract a hundred point defenseman, the only one of the only reasons that you have if you're a Sharks fan to buy tickets to see that team. You trade him away. And instead of trying to bottom out, it's like they're getting these additional pieces that I think are only going to further increase the murky middle that they're swimming in. And that includes, you know, Anthony Duclair that they added this summer. Like I just I want to understand what exactly are the San Jose Sharks trying to accomplish because it seems to this point like it's pretty scattershot. I was going to ask, like, what's the, the, obviously the win is a first round pick, but even that's probably going to be in the 20s range uh, or even further back, depending on on how things break for the Penguins. Um, And like, I, I guess is the win they don't have a $10 million contract on the books. Like, it's just, it's tough to find the the real, like, oh, right, I'm a Sharks fan. We got, X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I think it's fair to ask that question. And I think it's fair to say that you got next to nothing in return. I think the expectation was, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, that's one of the real smart things that they did was all these teams that were essentially in the mix for Carlson had said to them, we'll take him on, but we're not going to give you much. And I think the Penguins were one of the only teams, if not the only team, that was willing to put even one singular first-round pick on the table. And the reason for that is the Sharks weren't willing to retain all that much. They ended up retaining 13% on Carlson, just about a million and a half bucks. And they were in a spot where their maximum that they were willing to retain was 20%. So uh, that would have knocked him down to about 9.3 or 9.5 million bucks. And still at that point, teams weren't willing to give all that much for Carlson. And I think the problem is you're chewing up a routine salary transaction spot regardless, whether it's one five or three or five and a half, whatever it, it, it ended up being that you're retaining. The point should be to maximize return. Once you're chewing up one of those spots and it's on your cap for the next four years, What's the difference? What are the odds that in the next four years the Sharks are going to be really competitive and are going to need that money, especially as the cap continues to increase? So you would think that they'd want to be looking at it saying, let's retain as much as we possibly can, the 50%, to then juice the return and get as much back so that we can kickstart where we're trying to head. And instead they kind of like, didn't really accomplish either one of those things. They retained some, chewed up a spot anyway, and still didn't really get a lot back in return, which, again, leads me to sit here and shrug. 
Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose. No Russick today. Peter Klein joining me. Uh, you mentioned with the Sharks, and I totally agree, doesn't feel like they have much of a plan here after this trade or, or that the plan is not necessarily clear. What's the plan for the Montreal Canadiens? Because like you mentioned, you like this deal for the Habs. They bring in Jeff Petrie, who's got a couple more years left. They know what they're getting there. They bring in a third goalie. But what... <laughs> What's the plan for the Habs? Is it a couple years till they challenge? Is it take a step forward this year? How do you see it? I think they're going to take a little bit of a step forward this year. I think when you look at that team's forward group, if they're fully healthy, which they should be, they're going to score a lot of goals. Marty St. Louis has gotten so much, uh, I think, out of their top-end players. I think... They need a lot of help defensively. They're missing depth. Um, and I think they recognize that. So there's going to be some more pain in Montreal, and they're going to need to figure out the goaltending position sooner or later. They don't have a long-term answer for Carey Price, and I wonder if taking on Casey DeSmith, um, yes, it, it increases your depth if you're looking at the waivers portion with Caden Primo and what that might mean. Um, you know, you've got Sam Montembeau there. You've got Jake Allen, who could now become a trade ship for you. If you want to go with something like um, DeSmith and Montembeau, it would be cap-wise spending, oddly enough, uh, even more than the LA Kings are spending on goaltending this year, which is crazy to think about. But I think the Canadians are in for a little more pain. But what I love about what Montreal has done is if you look at and, and just go and, and – pull up the trade tree from when Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes took over. What you're looking at is a series of small victories, one by one that are being stacked upon each other that I think, you know, five, seven, 12 really smart moves. They're all going to amount to something eventually. And I really like where Montreal is heading. Matt Dumba signs a deal with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, was a free agent defenseman, one of several veteran NHLers that the Coyotes have brought on here in this offseason. What would be the ceiling for the Coyotes this year? The ceiling? Um, I think they're trying to compete for a playoff spot. I mentioned it uh, back in early June when I said that the Coyotes would be adding, and people kind of yawned and looked at me like, yeah, okay, really, like, what are, what's Arizona up to? And I think they recognize that they needed to try and turn the corner perhaps even more quickly than they had envisioned because they're in a spot where players didn't want to come there. I thought their biggest win of the summer was getting Logan Cooley to sign a contract and commit mm -hmm. and leave Minnesota, after, especially after some of the feelings that were out there with the, the vote uh, failing in Tempe. They, they need to put a product on the ice that's competitive that fans can get behind because they need to sell their marketplace on whatever their next arena deal is should one materialize. They've got about six months to get this right, uh, maybe even less than that. If there's no announcement by midseason, I fully expect the Arizona Coyotes to be playing somewhere else in 24-25. Uh, that's no secret to anyone. Everyone knows that this is a last-ditch you know, you've got to get shovels in the ground and, and steel uh, stacking upon it itself to, to really get this franchise moving in the direction that they need. And that's why they went after and were aggressive trying to get players to come to Arizona because 
they want to be in that playoff mix. I don't know that they're going to get there. I will say, though, that I think the Central Division is really soft. I think it's the weakest division in hockey. Mm. And I think they've got an opportunity to really you know, try and compete and, and outwork teams to get there. The other news from the weekend was the Tom Wilson extension with the Washington Capitals. It is a sizable extension, to say the least. Mm-hmm. He gets $6.5 million over six years, but he's still got another year on his deal right now. Uh, obviously, it's got some trade protection, that type of thing. 29 years old, right winger. How do you look at this deal for the Washington Capitals? Uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. I think the Caps are a low-key version of the Penguins. Mm-hmm. I think the Caps have made a promise to Alex Ovechkin that while he's chasing down Wayne Gretzky's record, that they're going to remain as competitive as possible. I think the big question for me, especially for a team that they did run into some injury issues last year, um, and that's one thing that at least if you're a Caps fan that you can point to and say that's a reason they can rebound. Uh, Pittsburgh, in parentheses, is is kind of a more fascinating case because Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin were both healthy for the entire season for the first time in like six years, and they still didn't make it. Um, Washington needs help. Um, they've got a roster that's in flux. I mentioned Kuznetsov. They tried like hell to move Anthony Mantha this summer. No one was taking him on. He was also a buyout candidate. That didn't happen. Um, They've got a defense core that was in transition. They ended up re-signing a lot of guys. They're going to rely more on Rasmus Sandin. They're hoping John Carlson is, is healthy and can bounce back. The Max Pacioretty deal is an interesting one. He's actually not going to be back playing until late November, early December, so they've still got to get through a couple months without him. Um, they've got a new coach. Like there, There's a lot going on there in Washington that, I find it really hard when you're looking at the Islanders, the Penguins, the Caps, these teams that have been in the mix for the last number of years to then wrestle with the Buffalo Sabres and the rise that they're on. I think there's probably no better team in the Eastern Conference prepared to compete for a Stanley Cup in the next five years than the Buffalo Sabres. The Sens, I like their team. Um, I think the Detroit Red Wings have a lot to improve but are heading in the right direction. How do you balance the teams that are on the rise and the teams that are just trying to hang on for dear life in what's a jumbled conference and then throw a team like Columbus in there? Yes, in the lottery uh, range last year, almost everything that could go wrong did, but the Blue Jackets should be vastly improved and also have a new coach and a taskmaster. So I'm fascinated to see how this all plays out because I'm just glad I have five, six, eight weeks to get my predictions in order because I really don't know how to view it. It's going to be fun this year, the way the things are starting to break. Uh, I wanted to ask you one more thing on just kind of the, what we've seen as far as a trend this offseason. You look at Matt Dumbo, you look at Vladimir Tarasenko, you look at Max Domi, you look at Tyler Bertuzzi, one-year deals, big money. Is this going to be a trend that continues, or is this just one year until the cap goes up and these are guys who are hoping to sign long-term deals next year? I think part of it is players are more comfortable with the idea of waiting a year because they know that the cap is going up. 
part of it is that teams are realizing that the fastest way to get yourself in trouble is to commit term. And I think they've been a lot more judicious with term, whereas before it was thrown around as a device to really game the AAV that now teams are looking at it and saying that's we don't want to be in that spot. We'd rather take a bigger hit now and be free from it quicker than the other way around. And that's, that's part of it too. So do I think it'll be a trend? No, I think when we get to that cap going back up and everyone can kind of breathe a little bit easier that you'll see big term handed out. But I also think that there's a subsection of players that teams have identified as these are not the players you want to commit term to, whether it's risk profile and the way that they defend or whether it's fit or whether it's style of whatever it might be, teams are identifying those types of players that they're just, they they like to have, but they're not all that comfortable with and want to see more. Frank, uh, we're asking the text line today at 960-960. Uh, we're actually giving away a really great prize pack to the uh, Shot Charity Classic little golf tournament coming up here in Calgary with the Champions Tour in a couple weekends. But Thanks we're, for the invite. Yeah, hey, man, open invite. Uh, I'm actually not going to be here this weekend, so I haven't been sending out invites this year. But uh, you can blame Russick or someone else. Maybe Duma if you want. That'd be fine. But we're asking our listeners for the prize pack today, uh, given the Kevin Brown story with the Baltimore Orioles, what is the sports truth that many people are too afraid to say? Do you have anything off the top of your head as far as the sports truth that many people might actually be afraid to say? Uh, nothing really off the top of my head, but I, I've said it, and it's kind of personally really bothered me, and I think in today's <laughs> social media world, Everyone's so quick to judge, and especially as it relates to Stan Bowman and Joel Quenville going back to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, sexual assault scandal. I think it's a really big leap that people make trying to read a document and judge people based on what they think they know when they don't know the whole story that we're so quick to kind of condemn everyone that to think about what you're actually saying and what you're accusing someone of that they be willing to trade victories over someone being willfully abused. Like it's a pretty big leap to get from A to B. I know this is not exactly lighthearted and what you were thinking, but um, that's really kind of, that's a sports truth that everyone wants to kind of just, you know, lock you up and throw away the key that I think that part I've really struggled with in terms of uh, trying to figure all this out. Hadn't got that one on the text line just yet. Uh, Frank, do do appreciate you coming on today, man. Yeah, have a good one, guys. There you go. That is Frank Cervalli, uh joining us down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or, or, for pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. Well, look who it is. Found his way into the studio again. My oh my, John Bender's joined the group. My slow pitch captain. Your slow pitch captain. Yeah, fearless leader. You guys have a tall team, eh? <laughs> yeah, we look good coming off the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah I <laughs> bet. I bet you look real good coming <laughs> off the bus. Uh, John's here to talk some CFL. We'll get into that as we continue on. Sports at 960 The Fan. 
It's Logan Gordon, host of Sportsnet today. I'll get you caught up on everything going on with the Blue Jays, any summer flames news, NFL, CFL, and more. Listen weekday afternoons or subscribe to the Sportsnet Today 960 podcast. Welcome back to the show. Big show. Russick and Rose. No George Russick. Galvanting off some... I don't know what he's doing, but not here today. In the six. In the six. Not the six. (laughs) My bad, my bad. Yeah, come on. on, How could you? I would never. I might. Uh, Peter Klein's joining us. Hi, Pete. Hello. Uh, Patty's here. You heard GVP. Ben's in the other room. And now... Another guest joined the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. 15-time Consumer Choice Award winner. 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. John Bender's here. Hi, John. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you guys doing? So far, so good. Um, you were at the game on uh, Saturday? Friday? Friday. Friday. Friday? Mm-hmm. Days are... <laughs> I'm having, a, I'm having a problem with my days, as we found out during the break. The there. Long weekend. But man, you're right. As soon as there's a long weekend, everything just yep. goes to crap. Yep. Uh, Argos, Friday, Stamps beat the best team in the CFL. Was it the most beautiful game that I've ever seen? No. But they had an opponent coming in that was easily the favorite, and they had a game plan. And they executed the game plan, and they left with a victory. And Chad Kelly going out certainly helps the cause if you're the Stampeders. But overall, how did you see the Stamps getting past the Argos in that game back on Friday? I was really impressed. I mean, this is a Stampeders team that struggled out of the gate, no question. Started off 2-5, and five, and now they had four straight te- games against you know the top tier of the CFL. A lot of people were talking already, saying you know they might be staring down 2-9 and nine here. And uh, they were really backed into a corner. They really came out fighting, and I showed, and I think that's a very, you know, that's a team that's going to grow now. They're going to have more confidence. Um, they're a team that's, you know, they're a young, fo- they're a young football team. They've changed over a lot of key positions, brought in some new leadership, and uh, now we're seeing it all kind of come together. And to put up a big win against the Argos like that, I mean, that that's a great football team. They they, they play great defense. They're well coached, and uh, yeah, I mean. They didn't have Chad Kelly the whole game, but part of the was the Stampeders were laying some licks on him early. And if you can get to the other team's quarterback, you're usually going to find a lot of success. So I was really impressed with the Stampeders game. I know that they didn't put up any eye-popping crazy numbers on offense, unless you really like what running backs do, which I do. So yeah, I want to get there. Yeah. The, the, those are big. I like yeah. that. <laughs> 27 carries for Diedrich Mills. Another three for Levante Bellamy. So you're at 30 carries. You see that on a box score at the end of the game. Maybe back when you were playing. Now, granted, when you were in Nevada, you guys ran the ball a ton because Cap was there in the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. But no, they ran it because Bender was there. That's yeah, why they could yeah, run it. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Please correct me. Moving bodies up front. Yes, yeah. sir. But you watched that yesterday, and you're like, this, this is... This is exactly what we wanted when we were playing, right? Down in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. As an offensive lineman, I mean, you either we always say that you either get to be the hammer or get to be the nail. And when you're, you know, on pass protection, you just, you know, you're going backwards and you're taking on 300 pound men. They're you're the trying nail. To run you over. Yeah, you're the nail. You got to slow them down as best you can. And when, you know, you get to run on offense, well, now you get to go headhunt safeties downfield. That's a lot more fun. You know, you get to find <laughs> oh, these little God. guys around the edge and, you know, <laughs> go run them over. And, you know, it's kind of like when you, you know, watch a boxing match, you know, that you can really soften teams up when you, uh, you know, Get your big boys been out there and just, you know, 
lay some hits on them. So I like that um, as the game goes on. I mean, you want to be up. When you're up, you can continue to run the football, eat up the clock, make sure that your defense is going to be you know well-rested, and there's a lot of good things there. It really did seem like the, the the Argos defense was wearing down by the end of it. Like when the the Stamps were putting that game away, there there was not that there weren't holes all game, but it really did seem like that 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 investment that was put in in the run game really did start to wear the Argos down as that game went on. Yeah, they did a lot of really good things. Um, so I don't think maybe the average fan might not know this, but if you have a problem with a defensive lineman in the middle, which a lot of teams in the CFL will with Sean Oakman with the Argos, mm -hmm. Sean Oakman is as good of his interior defensive lineman as you'll find in the CFL. Former NFLer. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a former meme generator from his yeah. days at Baylor, right? Oh, he's, he's yeah, six, humongous. 270 and huge and moves really well. And, uh, you know, he's done a great job with the Argos. He's a big reason why they won the Grey Cup last year. But the Stampeders do have a formidable three in the middle there with their three Canadians that they pay a lot of money to that do a great job there. And, I mean, we saw what they were able to do on offense with little bubble screens to the outside. Mm -hmm. Well, now if you're making those big D linemen rather than go north-south, they got to go east-west. They don't like that. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, when you're going east-west, well, we might just cut you when you try to run out there. <laughs> <laughs> we might, you know, have a double team. We might have a guy that gets you in the ribs. And uh, as that game wears on, as those guys aren't able to get to the quarterback, I mean, they get less interested in rushing upfield and doing all the different things that they need to do to be successful. I have a couple of O-line questions, and it feels relevant given the week that Dedrick Mills and the O-line had. The O-line got the game balls in that one, actually. Um, when you played, did you wear gloves? Of course, yeah. The reason that I... Um, How do my pinkies look? Oh, God, just terrible. <laughs> just absolutely <laughs> awful. Ooh. Just, I think yeah. mangled would be a good word to yeah, use. There's a couple turns on that road that yeah, I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah, like I've got a buddy who is a plumber and his hands are just absolutely ratchet. You're kind of close though. Um, but the reason I was going to ask is because it relates to run game versus pass game. Uh, I remember when I played very low level high school ball, one of the things that one of our coaches told us was if you're on the line, you got to be very, you either have to wear gloves or you have to be mindful of the pressure on your hand because if you're leaning forward like you're going to do a rush, your knuckles will get white because you got pressure on your knuckles. But if you're leaning backwards because you're about to go into pass pro, your hands will be red. They'll be normal colored. So I found out that was the reason why a lot of offensive linemen wore gloves just so as they were getting set before the play, they didn't give away what they were about to do. Have you ever heard that? Is that ridiculous to you? No, I mean... That is something that we've seen over the years. I think that a lot of alignment wear gloves now just because, like I've shown you, a lot of guys break safety, fingers, yeah. safety, try to make sure that you don't break a hand, things like that. The alignment gloves, obviously, it's not like wide receiver gloves where it feels like there's sticky tack on them. They're just a lot of padding there, try to make sure we don't break our hand, break our fingers, mm -hmm. things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you got, it's a physical game. It's going to be a long game, so especially when you get to the pro level, a lot of guys are really good about not giving away what they're doing or their stance. But, I mean, when it's second and 27, you can get a good lean going. People have a good idea what's happening, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Every now and then, you know, you'll come up there, and, you know, we always say that the D-linemen aren't the smartest guys on the field. So with our language sometimes, we can trick them. Mm. So, you know, when it's like a hard count, when the quarterback comes up there and says something, we're always yelling, blitz, 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 pick up, out, 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 out. Things like that, we're like... It just trying to make like, as much noise. Like something's very urgent going to happen, and then we're just like, you dummies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Create as much organized chaos as possible. 
For sure, absolutely. <laughs> like that reminds me of whenever there's a play where it's like the quarterback is yelling at a receiver and then it's a direct snap to somebody else. I, they did it in longest yard, but they do it every once in a while in, in actual football too. It's just capitalizing on chaos. And that's so much of what football is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing for football is if you can get a guy to take one step in a wrong direction, that's often enough. Yeah. Where they're not going to catch, you know, a running back running full speed, a wide receiver running full speed. So if you can uh, just make some, you know, misdirection, things like that, it makes a big difference. Looking at the the Stamps game plan, um, and, and I guess just how the offense has gone with uh, Jake Mayer, he has a good game against Ottawa, maybe not as much against Montreal. How much easier does life get on a young quarterback when your running game with the back and the offensive line is putting you in second and four, second and five situations? I'd imagine that's quite a bit easier than second and eight, second and ten consistently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just opens up the playbook. It makes you have a lot of options that you can do. Um, it makes it tough for a defense. So mm -hmm. if a defense knows that you have to pass the ball or there's a good opportunity you have to pass the ball, they can really pin their ears back and you know just go up there and pass rush. They don't have to think too much. They can bring blitz packages. They can do all those different things. If it's second and four, second and five, well, the whole playbook's available. You could run again. You could run a play action. You can do trick plays. You can do all of those different things. So, I mean, it just kind of keeps the defense guessing, and, I mean, that's what you want, right? Yeah. You want to be able to have the opportunity to go out there and say, hey, you know what, we can operate in any part of our game plan. If it's second and 10, second and 12, obviously that game plan, you know, the play sheet gets a lot shorter. With uh, with this game, uh, as we've talked about, the, the run game had quite a bit of success. Did you notice anything um, either different or improved from the, the Stamps offensive line in this matchup with Toronto? Uh, I just noticed that they got into a better rhythm. Uh, they were able to just, you know, I think before in a lot of the games, they would run the ball five, six, seven, eight times, and I feel like they kind of gave up on it. And I feel like this game, they just kept, you know, kept going, kept kept rolling. And it seemed like they had a better uh, ability to run a little bit outside. Uh, there's two different zone plays that you run a lot in uh, football. There's inside zone and outside zone. Outside zone is what you would do a lot against these teams that have the big D tackles in the middle because they're easy to cut off because they're a little bit bigger. So you run outside zone that way, and I saw you know some big run plays. You were getting eight, nine, ten yards a pop. That was, that was great to see. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to ask you about Winton McManus, former Stampeder, who is having himself a hell of a season in the middle of that Argos defense. Yeah, I mean he's been great. He's a guy that can really fly around and get the football. Um, you know, we all saw saw a guy like Alex Singleton here. Yeah. I mean, he was easy to watch because he's got a lot of long hair and it seems like he's always <laughs> in the play. Yeah, Wherever yeah. the football is, if he's not on, on the tackle, he's standing right there. And I feel like Wendy McManus is kind of in the same mold, always in it, always flowing. And, you know, he's a guy that has great instincts and get the ball. It felt like if Diedrich Mills wasn't facing against Winton McManus, he would have been well over 200 yards. Because on the six or seven yards he was getting, it was usually Winton McManus wrapped around his ankles that was keeping him from breaking it totally off and getting a house or something even bigger than that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean... You know, pro football game, getting 130 yards. I got no complaints. They did a great job yeah, there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they got 200, I wouldn't be mad about that either. Wanted to ask you, um, going to the Stamps game, uh, you saw there was a, I don't know if anybody saw it, but there was a, a group of lads in high-vis vests 
Yeah. Uh, the bachelor party went well. You you uh, had a little bit of a crew out there for the game Friday night. Yeah, I had a couple of buddies that were in a bachelor party. Um, so there was two guys I know getting married, and they ended up uh, having I think there were sixty guys at the football oh game. My so they had a lot of fun. Oh. Um, you know, I don't need any extra attention when I'm at football games, so I wasn't wearing a high vis vest. Also, no, it does not fit me. So, but yeah. uh, they, had, they had a men at work in theme, so they had the men at work on the back of their high vis vest mm. but really they were though they were putting in a shift that's for sure <laughs> yeah and, a few uh, lads are doing some work it was a 12-hour shift kind of night for yeah. a lot of those guys i think oh. you know, they're, yeah they're working overtime so they were busy but uh it was good to see a lot of guys and uh you know have a lot of fun and you know, that was a group of guys probably 35 to 45 to 60 guys there and i think that you've heard this a lot from some mm-hmm. people in the cf some people in the community, maybe they haven't been to as many football games as maybe they, you want them to, or we want them to. And they go and say, Hey, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. So I hope we see more of that here in the future. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to watch. That is for sure. Uh, Stamps have a really tough stretch coming up here. NBC this weekend at home to Winnipeg. And then they head out to Toronto to face the Argos who are going to be pretty upset about the way that this victory has gone. And I think it's safe to assume that they'll probably have Chad Kelly back by then as it did look pretty precautionary. Uh, against the Stampeders over the course of the weekend. But how are you looking for this matchup, and how can a game like the Argos kind of springboard you into these next three games confidence-wise? Because I don't think it's you know out of line to say that the Stampeders were probably pretty low on confidence going into this Argos game, but they go out and they get the result, and, and just what can that mean for this group? I mean, I think that's, it, I really enjoy that they got it in the first win. Mm. That really helps build a lot of confidence because now if they yeah. beat the best, you know, the number one team in the power rankings, Kevin McMahon Stadium, and they lost by 13 points. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you can beat the number one team in the power rankings, theoretically, you should be able to beat anyone else. So they get to go to BC now. I know big play VA has been licking his wounds here the last few weeks, mm-hmm. hasn't been playing much. So hopefully they can uh, have a good game there against Dane Evans, and hopefully they can come up with a win as well. And now and then they still have, you know, hopefully they can knock off a team like Winnipeg in a few weeks, and then they got the Argos again. And then I think it's guaranteed win week with the double with the games against <laughs> guaranteed win. But so Trey Ford's taking over. It's Trey Ford time. Oh, we're gonna see how that goes. But uh, <laughs> if they can get to you throw know, right to the wolves, yeah, in Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, if they can get to September tenth ish around five hundred, maybe a game under, maybe a game over. I think they'll be in good shape heading into the playoffs. And I mean. In the CFL, everybody's going to win five games. Everyone's going to lose five games. It's the other eight games that usually makes the biggest difference. And uh, if they can um, make some big moves there, we're going to see what happens. Edmonton may challenge your every team will win five <laughs> games thing. Um, you, can't, you, you can't break either of the O's they have going, right? Whether it's like just on the season or that, that home losing streak. like you, you absolutely 100% cannot be the team that breaks either of those, right? I mean, you certainly don't want to be. I mean, I know... You know, there's some streaks that happen throughout, you know, a lot of different players' football careers. And, I mean, you don't want to be the team that, you know, breaks up their streak because, you know, you've got a lot of pride. And, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the Elks are hating, like, going to work has got to be tough. Yes. Like, when you're, <laughs> yes. When you're 0-8, you know, going into, and, I mean, think of all the turnover they've had, too. I mean, they've turned over half that roster in the season. And if things continue, I bet they'll turn over most of the other half. So, it's going to be a tough situation for them. They got to get things going the right direction here. And I mean, the Stampeders, obviously, and every other team in the league doesn't want to be the team <laughs> that lets them uh, pick up an easy W. Well, they're at home to Winnipeg this weekend, which, yikes. 
And then after that, they go to Hamilton for a game against the Tabbies, and then they're at home to the Ottawa Red Blacks before the Labor Day game. Well, that Red Blacks one, eh, I think it's perfectly conceivable. They went into Hamilton last year. That's what I was about to say. I think it's conceivable that they have not only won, but won at home before the Labor Day Classic. And then you don't have to worry about any ridiculous streak and being the team that breaks it. Because there are a lot of times where you want to be the group that breaks the streak. Like when we've mentioned it already, like when the Flames continue to lose in Anaheim. You wanted to be the team that broke that streak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You do not want to be the team that breaks the streak for Edmonton. (laughs) No, not at all. That is an unfortunate crown to carry. Yeah, I remember going up to Edmonton last year to watch the Stampeders play the Elks about July 7th or so. Sure. And that was going to be the 1,000th day. And there was all the talk on Sports Talk Radio listening on the way up about how they can't let this happen, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Stamps won by 40. <laughs> oh, my. And they could, then, and they did. <laughs> uh, then the Stampeders came back in late September, and I think they won by 35. Yeah. So, I mean, they've had a good track record up there. I mean, obviously, it's different teams, different rosters, but uh, hopefully we see the same result. Go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just uh, big win, obviously, Calgary um, over, over Toronto. Still behind Saskatchewan, though. Uh, how, how, do you, oh, <laughs> how, how do you stack up the, the two teams that are, are fighting for the right to get their teeth kicked in by the Winnipeg or BC oh, in the playoffs? Uh, so if anyone can't see, Peter Klein is wearing a Riders hat today. So sure I just wanted to make yeah. sure everyone's all on Big the same win. page there. Love Fine win. Audio uh, medium. Fine mm, win. Yeah. Yo, I thrive in audio medium. Yeah, Trust he's me. got his yeah. Riders hat. He's got his dog's hoodie on. Well, looks great. Anyways, <laughs> um, that being said, Drawstrings yeah. are completely uneven on the hoodie. Oh, Just wow, a travesty. Really oh, my goodness. Driving me nuts the entire show. <laughs> Sorry, that out. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, these teams are, I mean, it's the playoffs, one game, anything can happen. As we saw, the Stampeders can really run the football. And in the playoffs, especially in Canada, this becomes a, you know, a different game. I mean, mm-hmm. the Grey Cup was added out at Labor Day. The Stampeders will probably have a few more over the last decade. <laughs> but it has to be played in cold weather and snow and rain and all of those different things. And if the Stampeders can be a team that plays great defense, can run the football, a lot of things can happen. I don't think anybody thought that in 2019 when the Blue Bombers uh, had their big run in them, you know, they came here to play in Calgary in the playoffs, you know, the first, first week. And that kind of started their, you know, if you want to call it a dynasty now, they've been to three great cups in a row, have done really well there. So, I mean, I think there's some teams kind of nipping at the heels. The BC Lions look like they got a great team. Uh, the Rough Riders are close. I mean, uh, we'll see what happens with them here. But, uh, you know, they've had, they've had some good games here as well. And if they can, you know, kind of hit the ground running and build off of this momentum that they've had with a nice win, maybe they can uh, get into the playoffs as well. And, uh, you know, I'm... I would expect by the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with a West crossover again. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if Hamilton and Ottawa have have the juice here to hold on, but uh, we're going to see how it goes. So right now, the Bombers are six and two, the Lions are six and two, the Riders are four and four, the Stamps are three and five. If Calgary won their next two games against BC and against Winnipeg, they'd be five and five. Uh, I'm going to say Winnipeg and BC probably beat their opponents that aren't the Stampeders because it's Hamilton and Edmonton, so they'd be <laughs> both 7-3 uh, and three after that. Can the Stamps still win this division? they got to go on a run. I mean, we saw last, was it two years ago, they started out the season 2-5, two and, two and five, and they ended yep. up going 6-1 uh, and one after that. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to go on a good run. And, I mean, it's here for the take, and if they're able to beat the Argos last week, I mean, that's the number one team in the CFL. If they can play like that and continue playing like that, maybe they rattle off five, six wins in a row here, or maybe they rattle off, you know, six of eight, something like that. 
and uh, they can get right back in the talk. But uh, with a tough start out the gate, it might be a team that's going to be uh, you know number two or number three seed in the playoffs. Seems a lot more likely, but I mean, there's a lot of games left. There's a lot of football left to be played. Uh, okay, uh, on the text line today at nine six zero nine six zero, we're giving away a hell of a prize pack, John. Have you ever been to the Shot Charity Classic? I have not. I've heard lots of great stories about it, though. Uh, you should go. Uh, you can actually, uh, well, I don't know if you can enter. We're probably not going to pick you as, as the winner, but we're running a text contest, 960-960. We're asking our listeners to text in uh, a, a sports truth that people are afraid to say. This, of course, after the Orioles broadcaster was suspended for saying that the Orioles had not won a series in Tampa Bay in 15 straight series, which is a reasonable truth to share. Yeah. We're asking for some truths that maybe people are too afraid to say. I'd like one from you. Um, you can send them in at 960-960. And if you send them in right now, you have a chance to win a Rogers VIP ticket package for two to watch the Shaw Charity Classic presented by Rogers at Canyon Meadows on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. The prize comes with two honorary observer passes valid for one round of the tournament and two Rogers Clubhouse and Skybox passes valid for one round of the tournament. They have a $3,000 value. This is a humongous prize and uh, a great one that Shot Charity Classic has given us to uh, pass on to our listeners, 960960. Is there anything that comes to mind, a sports truth that people are too afraid to say? Yeah, whenever I'm asked questions like this, I always, you know, wonder which side of my brain to use. One as the former athlete, one as the fan. Mm. So I'll give you two. Okay, okay yeah, so I'd love that. As the fan, I think that the biggest one, that uh, the biggest truth, is that we always assume ownership sees a successful season in the win and loss column. Mm. But I definitely would assume that they see it in the, you know, cash flow you know, how things went on the season as far as income earned and things like that. I think that's a truth that fans are becoming a little bit more savvy to, but one that has definitely been prominent for a long time without maybe, um, with maybe some owners pulling the fleece over some fans' eyes in the past. Yeah, I think that and we've seen a lot of teams like, say, the Tampa Bay Rays or some other teams sure. where they'll just turn over roster players all the time and, you know, operate at a fraction of the cap and, Still win, still get their playoff games. Like Oakland, well, yeah. they don't win, but they don't win. But they did, yeah. and they still did this stuff, though. To be yeah, fair, yeah, that's a good point by you. And they might, you know, if we actually looked at which teams had the most profits over the years, we might be really surprised who they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. Revenue wise, one hundred percent. Did you have another one as well? Yeah, and then the other one I think is that um, you know I know a lot of players always say that like. You know, we never want to see a player get hurt, and oh, it's sickening, and oh, it's this, and oh, it's that. We've all played the sport. We've all been hurt. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. Obviously, you don't want to do anything dirty, anything cheap, any of those things, but people get hurt, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's just kind of the nature of things, and I mean, you know, I always see players come up, and they're always, like, look like they got tears in their eyes because somebody got hurt, but like, We've all been in a locker room. There's going to be injuries. That's just the way it is. So I think that that's kind of overblown at times as well. And sometimes uh, you just got to take advantage. And you go and you beat the league's best team because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not because of it. That's not giving enough credit to the Calgary Stampeders, who had an excellent game plan and executed it to a T. But uh, like that one drive, he comes in two plays later, that ball's in the end zone, and you're like, oh, boy. Yeah. That Stampeders drive not looking so impressive now. <laughs> And then he goes out and he's injured the next one. You're like, okay, phew. Yeah. Okay, a little sigh of relief. <laughs> Especially because they have a whole bunch of quarterbacks there who wasn't that his first drive in the CFL? The yeah. Cameron yeah. Cameron Dukes. Cam Dukes. Cam Dukes. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, uh, those we, are some good ones. Yeah, well, I think we found out what the depth chart looks like on some of these teams, and we find out that the backups are nowhere near as good. So yeah. Yeah. It goes. I think the CFL has that problem uh, pretty significantly. I think every pro league has that problem because from a quarterback mm. perspective, you always build the offense yeah. around the personnel of the starting like, quarterback. Yeah, look in the NFL at the yeah. backup situation. Yeah, they're not exactly rolling the, 40 deep yeah. right now at quarterback like, in the NFL. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah it's... There's not many, especially with the XFL and the USFL. There's more quarterbacks. Just, just it, it dilutes the field. Like you're yeah. thinking, like an Alex Magoo, who's uh, what a USFL MVP or whatever, gets signed totally. by the Packers. It's like, oh, this guy might be something, but probably not. And there's yeah. so many quarterbacks that are Alex system Magoo. based. Alex Magoo. They're all system based, personnel based, and when you try to put them into a different system or a different personnel, oftentimes it doesn't work as well as they mm. want it to. Well, and teams don't, I know we have to go, but teams don't develop them either. It's like you yep. waste a, a third-round pick on a kid, throw him out there for a couple of preseason games. All right, he's not it. Next. Like, we're not going to waste reps because we need to get ready for the, this week with our actual starter, so we're not going to waste reps in practice developing you. So, hope you hit the one time you get a chance to. If not, we're going to draft another kid, spend $750,000 on him, and you'll be a gym teacher somewhere. Like, Or, or we're going to lose, you know, go... 0-16 or whatever teams do and hope to get the top pick and hope yeah. to do that. So it's amazing what teams do for quarterbacks and what they try to do on every level, I think. Yeah. And what they won't do for running backs. <laughs> yes. They, they, they got a tough man. Oh, yeah. dude. Right now, my boy Joe Mixon going out and taking a pay cut over the weekend. At a B. Not good, <laughs> yeah. not good for the brotherhood, but who day? Let's so, go. Yeah. So the reality of a first, get a chip. Uh, the reality of a first round running back is you have a four year rookie deal, fifth year option that the owners can put on you, and then they can franchise tag you twice. So you never get to free agency till seven years. You're 28. No one wants you anymore, anyway. Yeah. So that's that. Thanks for the career. This is your slotted yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. 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 Enjoy it. See you later. Hope you finish your your degree when you're in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, John. Appreciate it every time you come in. All right, for sure. Thanks for having me. There you go. John Bender joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. 15-time Consumer Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. We're live in the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more... Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Also, hour one of the big show is up via podcast. If you missed it, Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, Patty brought us the morning report, and we broke down some of the biggest storylines in sport over the weekend as well. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, we're going to take a break. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet and former MLB catcher, going to join us after the, around the corner. We're going to ask him about Davis Schneider. What's the deal with this firecracker? Goat. You ever seen a duster quite like that? We'll ask him all the above. Sports at 960 The Fan.